Hello and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are excited to kick off 2022 here on Act to Age with the first two books in the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mass, Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight. Yay. Yay. (laughs) We're so excited to dive into this series, which both of us love a lot. And we're just really big fans of it. And it's going to be really interesting talking about two books today. I don't know why we keep doing this to ourselves, Tasha. Every time we do it, we regret it. Like every single time. (laughs) When will we learn? Like it does make sense to talk about these two together because they are Mm -hmm. set up in a lot of ways. However, we always neglect to think about the fact that we personally have to read them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, is it like the the very definition of madness, like uh, doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result? Yes. And that's that exactly. is us every time we pick two books. Yeah. No. On one episode. This is the last time we're doing it. I'm saying publicly <laughs> here. We have shifted our plans going forward for this series. Uh, we were going to double up a couple of some others too, but we're just not going to because these these are thick boys. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're door stoppers. Yeah. Both of these are like 400 pages. So this is like very silly of us, but um, it's okay. We've, we made it through somehow. Uh, and like I said, we're going to break it up a little bit more going forward, uh, but we're really excited to talk about this series. We're going to, as we said in our end of year episode, we're going to split this up a little bit going forward. So the first like three months of 2022 aren't solely thrown of class. So we'll be jumping around a little bit, covering roughly one book a month through like June, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just great because it just like spreads out the wealth a little bit here. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty jazzed. I'm excited. I'm wearing as I often do, as you can attest as someone who like sees me on the video, every time we do this, it's probably like a 50, 50 shot that I'm wearing my Havel Yard sweatshirt. Yeah. But I obviously had to pull it out today because it's especially appropriate today. It's very appropriate today for our mutual love. Yes. Dorian. Love him so much. But before we talk about Dorian and all of our other faves in this book, Dorian and the other people. <laughs> I know. I literally was filling out the superlative section for favorite character. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to put an asterisk for every single book in the series and be like, it's Dorian. Like Dorian is my favorite character in this series. So every week I'm going to, or every episode, I'm going to endeavor to pick another favorite who is not Dorian, but like, just know that. Right. Dorian's always there. It's always always there. there. Always on my mind. Never far from my (laughs) mind. But before we talk about uh, him, and others. <laughs> We're <laughs> a very healthy headspace already. I love it. I know. Great. What are you obsessing over these days? Uh, well, thanks to you and front of the pod, Jesse, um, I was sent um, <laughs> these hollow vows by Lexi Ryan. Literally, like uh, you guys mailed it to me because you could not wait for my library hold to come through. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate that kind of dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of going with like a uh, like a good old-fashioned love triangle but there's a lot of like twists and turns going on in there it's like a fey world um it is nothing it's not doing anything super special or different or anything but it was really fun i enjoyed it a lot i'm very 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 much looking forward to the sequel um yeah it's just a it's a good old-fashioned good time yeah it's it was so fun. Jesse and I were obsessed. We read it really quickly and we're like, just need to talk to about 
talk to someone else about it. So hence us sending it to you. And I'm super glad you liked it. And yeah, it was super fun. I felt very betrayed and it was, uh, yeah. that's what I love in a book and it's such it, a betrayal. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be just a duology with the le- second book coming out later this year. So, uh, we'll get answers sooner rather than later, but yeah, I'm glad you had as much yeah. fun. As and it was, did. it was definitely one of those things. Like I can totally get, like, I totally understood your, your motivation for sending me this book when I finished it, because I was like, you have to drag me down into this like muck with you because I have to suffer if you have to suffer. Right. Yeah. And, um, I was like, Oh, so it wasn't a kindness. You guys sending me a book. This yeah. was, <laughs> this was like warfare, yeah. emotional warfare. I, I have rarely been so angry after finishing a book, yeah. like not because I didn't like it or like I was mad about it, but I was like mad about the events of the book or like mm-hmm. a character in the book. And, you know, you know, something is good if you're like that invested in it, that it like ruined my day, maybe my week. I was <laughs> yeah. like stomping around huffing about it. Like I was so mad. And it's not like I don't live a love triangle generally, but like mm-hmm. for this book, I didn't mind it at all because there's a lot of like good reasons in, in play. And yeah. I think by the end, it's very clear, like who one should be mm-hmm. who or who the, the one should be, I should say. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. So it makes me happy that you uh, liked it also because ouchie, I was just like spiraling right. by myself. <laughs> well, not yeah, by myself like, with Jesse, but <laughs> like love triangles can get very like old hat, but um, I think it's done really well here. I think if you do something like that, that's very like tropey or cliche or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, cliches exist for a reason, but um, if you do it really well, I think that, you know, you can kind of take away some of that like oh, this is like just same old standard thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we'll talk about, I guess, love trying a little bit more once we get into the meat of this episode, because that's a thing we have here a little bit. And yeah. uh, I don't like it as much because I like all the options. Uh, one option, which is not canon, is my favorite option, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but the third leg of that triangle is what I really want. We'll talk about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway. So I'm glad you're <laughs> doing well, doing well. I just like got flummoxed by thinking of a Dorian Kale existence. Yeah, but it's yeah. fine. These books are too straight for that, unfortunately. Which is one of the yeah. things we'll talk about. Anyway, uh, what was I into? I read a couple of really good things over our holiday break here. I read When You Get the Chance by Emma Lord. Thanks to Wednesday Books for the advanced copy of that one, which I promptly pre-ordered upon completing because I loved it so much. Emma Lord wrote Tweet Cute, I think most famously, which is kind of like a really fun YA version of You've Got Mail. Uh, When You Get the Chance is a YA version of Mamma Mia. Actually, it's about a teenage girl named Millie raised by a single dad and her aunt and she is a theater obsessed high school student and sets out to find her birth mother. And she's narrowed it down to three uh, candidates. And she kind of gets to know each of them in an effort to try to figure out which one might be her mom. And on the surface, I love this book. Obviously, I've talked a lot about how I'm like a big musical theater nerd, some real deep cut references from Emma Lord here, which I really appreciated, which were really fun. But what was really great about this book is the journey Millie goes on. It had a lot more depth than I thought it was going to in terms of her coming to terms with the fact that like, it doesn't matter if she's the lead in the show or that she knows who her birth mom is, who she is, is the important thing here. And it was just kind of 
staggeringly well done. I think Emma Lord's writing is really sharp and crisp. And I think she's just a really, really good YA writer and like tweet cute cemented her status for me as an auto read author. But this one I think is her best so far of her three books. And I just absolutely loved it. It was so good. Again, personally pandering to me with this book. Like (laughs) it was, it was super fun and very self-aware. Like it makes fun. It pokes fun in the book at the fact that this is Mama Mia, like yeah. her best friend jokingly calls it Millie Mia, like being just <laughs> like, okay, like, you know, your mama meing this, like, you know, you are. Um, so that was just really, really fun. And I liked it a lot. I previously talked on this podcast about the brightest star in Paris by Diana Biller. And I read the first book, I guess, in this connected universe, uh, which is called the widow of Rose house, which is kind of a Gothic historical romance with some like supernatural elements to it. It's about uh, this scientist professor type named Sam Moore, who has an interest in studying ghosts and this kind of infamous widow who buys this house that is haunted. And for reasons, they end up working together to figure out what's going on with the ghost and they fall in love. Uh, The second book, Bright Star in Paris, is about his brother, Benedict. I love, love, love Diana Biller's writing. It's very, very funny and Swoony and the Moore family who you see more of in this book are just a top fictional family. And it's just super fun, kind of quirky historical romance. Highly recommend. I want everything she writes. These are her only two books, but I will buy anything that she writes going forward because she's just such a talent. So that was super fun. And then the other thing that's like really a true obsession to the point where like my husband and I just like keep playing the score in our house is (laughs) the HBO adaptation of Station Eleven, which is a novel by Emily St. John Mandel. I actually have never read the book. Have you read the book, Tasia? I have. I think I actually talked about it on here. Oh, did you? Or maybe I just talked to you like one-on-one about it. I don't yeah. remember, but yeah. I don't remember either yet. My husband read it early in the pandemic, which was a choice because um, it's a book yeah. about a pandemic. <laughs> um, I actually have never read it, but the adaptation was getting such great reviews that I just decided to watch it anyway. And your mileage may vary on whether or not you can handle this type of property right now, especially when things are surging. And the first episode in particular is very jarring because it's the start of their pandemic. And it was particularly jarring to me because it's set in Chicago and filmed here, like very clearly filmed here. One of the main set pieces is this apartment that was a block from my old apartment that I lived in for six years. i just, it was very kind of hard at first. And then this was weird to me. Their, their pandemic quickly becomes significantly worse than ours and that it has a one in 1000 survivor rate. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's a cataclysmic end of the, uh, of society as we know it, a civilization as we know it. And so that for me, it was weirdly comforting because we're, we're not there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the way that this story was told was just, it, it was so beautiful. The, the, all the acting is superb. The music superb. The way it weaves multiple storylines and timelines together was just like, knock my socks off. Gorgeous. Very different from the book as I understand it. Emily St. John Mandel was not particularly involved in the adaptation. And when she got information about what they were doing with some of the characters, apparently she said like, I wish I had come up with that. So like they did some really, really good things. Um, I've heard um, in reading things and talking to my husband about it, what they changed and what was really good and just kind of blew my, blew, blew my socks off. Like it was so good. I loved it. One of my favorite things I think I'll ever see truly. Yeah. So, check it out. 
whenever I get a chance to watch things and do things again, <laughs> I will. I it's definitely on my list. I know. Poor, see, this is why, like, also we shouldn't read two books at a time for a podcast episode because we need time for other wonderful things yeah. in our lives. Uh, and you've been very busy. So I, I hope you have time for it soon because it was really good. And then these books. <laughs> really, really excited to be back. And is it Aurelia? Is that how we say this world? Uh, the Aurelia. That's how, yeah, yeah, that's Aurelia. how I see it in my head. She really comes up with strange names. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like you're just throwing them into a hat and like pulling out the letters. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't make sense, especially like we're going to be talking a lot about words and word marks and word keys and it's W-Y-R-D in the book. It's like, cool. Like, why? I don't know. <laughs> but weird naming choices aside, uh, this is, like I said, the first two books we're going to be talking about in this series. It's an eight book series. A lot of setup in these books, but I do think they're really fun on their own. I'm excited to dive into them. All right. We have a quick book summary of each book here. I'm going to try to like quick. <laughs> move quickly through them. Do you want to go first? Do you want to do Throne of Glass and then I'll do Crown of Midnight? Sure. All right. Kale Westfall retrieves Selena Sardothian from Mendovia, the slave camp she has been imprisoned in for the past year. He presents her to Prince Dorian, who has summoned her to see if she would be suitable to compete for him in a contest to discover the king's, the next king's champion, someone to do the king's dirty work. The king is a nasty, arrogant man who has been conquering kingdoms throughout Aurelia. Also, he eliminated magic from his kingdom and other nearby lands 10 years ago. Selena is a good candidate for the competition because of her reputa- reputation as the best assassin in Adderlin. All of the potential champions train and compete in the castle for weeks. Selena's biggest competition is the brutal Kane, who is competing for the king's closest advisor, Duke Parrington. Evil things are happening in the castle as the contests ensue. Champions are being murdered and mutilated in a way that seems brutal and out of the ordinary. Selena starts quietly investigating on her own. She discovers a secret passage that leads her to a mausoleum dedicated to the first king and queen of Adderland, Gavin and Elena. The ghost of Elena begins to visit Selena in this room and in her dreams. She explains that a clock tower on the castle ground serves as a portal between their world and dimensions beyond. She warns Selena that something evil has entered the castle from this portal and she must discover who controls it. Elena tells her she's the only one who can put a stop to this beast. As they each get to know her better, there are signs that both Dorian and Kale are developing feelings for Selena. Dorian's charming ways make her blush. They share a love of reading. They are quite attracted to each other. On the other hand, Selena sees Kale's strength and honor honor as they train together and as he performs his duties as captain of the guard. During her weeks at the castle, Selena meets two very different women. The first is Princess Nehemia, and the two become fast friends because they both feel like outsiders in the castle. Selena agrees to, to teach Nehemia the common language of Adderland in exchange for Nehemia teaching Selena what she knows of word marks and ancient language with ties to magic. Despite keeping a few secrets from each other at first, their bond becomes strong over time. The other woman she meets is Lady Caltaine Rompier, a typical court lady who has her eyes on Prince Dorian as a future mate, even though she is in a relationship with Duke Parrington. She senses the connection between Selena and the prince, and this makes her despise Selena. Selena eventually discovers that Cain is the one who summoned the murderous creatures from the portal, which injures her. Nehemia heals her with word magic. Selena competes very well and ends up in the final contest against Cain. At Duke Parrington's and the king's request, Caltaine spikes Selena's drink before a required toast with the king between the two fighters. Selena unknowingly ingests the, this poison before the final battle against Kane. This stills her, sen- her senses and makes it seem like it will be an easy win for Kane. As she lays injured, Selena first gets encouragement from Kale from outside the ring. But it is Nehemia who rescues her by using word magic to summon Queen Alina to take the poison from her system. 
Even though her body is quite broken, Selena manages to defeat Kane once the poison is gone from her system and is declared the winner. Kane tries to kill Selena after his defeat, but Kale sees it coming and kills him before getting to her. After her victory, Selena breaks things off with Dorian. The book closes as Selena signs the contract with the king. He threatens to hurt Kale, Nehemia, and even Nehemia's family if she does not fulfill the contract. But if she serves him well for four years, then she will be free. A book. A book. <laughs> Indeed. I was reading along with that. And, and speaking of weird naming things, Kale would, will always be like the weirdest name to me. If you yeah. haven't read this or you have only like listened to the audio, it's spelled like chaos, but with an L at the end, T-H-A-O-L. And it's supposed to be pronounced like Kale. And I just like can't do it. So it's just Kale to yeah. me, like the, like the veggie. I tried to do like Kale, but it just, it blends. It blends. It's, it's Kale. It's fine. Yeah. Love you, Kale, but that's what your name is now. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's that book. All right. Crown of Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> book two. Brief. Oh, also citing my sources here. That was from the Throne of Glass Wiki edited down shockingly uh, to, to that <laughs> by me. Uh, also, this one is from bookseriesrecap.com. Also edited down. Uh, here is Crown of Midnight. Selena is fulfilling her new role as the king's champion by performing the assassinations he orders on his enemies, but she's actually faking their deaths and sneaking them out of Adderlon. Selena is given the name of a suspected rebel leader, Archer Finn, as her next target. His rebel movement is trying to track down the lost princess, Aelin Galathinius, the heir of Terrison, and the only hope to restore the honorable kingdom to its former glory. Selena's relationship with Kale continues to blossom. Their friendship and attraction is growing. They solidify their relationship and are very happy for a short amount of time. Then Kale is kidnapped and his captors send a ransom note to Selena. When Selena arrives to rescue Kale, she discovers archers behind the capture. He says he's been working with Nehemia to assemble a rebel force to challenge the king. Archer says they now realize that it's the king who will question Nehemia very soon, not Kale, and he thinks they will torture and maybe even kill her. He says that Kale knew that this might happen, though, and could have prevented it. Selena believes this, even though it's only partially true. Selena frees Kale and then rushes back to the castle to try to save Nehemia. She discovers Nehemia brutally murdered in her bedroom. Selena blames Kale for her death since he knew her life had been threatened and didn't do enough to stop it. She attacks Kale and almost kills him, but Dorian reveals his latent magical powers and saves Kale. Selena's goal then becomes finding and killing Nehemia's murderer. She meets a witch who is working at a carnival that has come to the castle grounds. Selena goes to the woman to get help deciphering a riddle tied to the magic word mark she has been investigating. The witch says the riddle describes the three word keys necessary to open the word gate. She says the person who finds the keys and opens the gate will wield incredible power enough to control this world and others. The witch then attacks her and Selena kills her. Selena learns the king discovered one of the word keys long ago, and she suspects that he has the second key as well. She knows she has to find the third one before he does. She thinks Nehemia was researching this all before her death and might have known the location of the final key. Selena decides to open a portal to the other worlds to try to reach her. Selena reaches Nehemia and she tells Selena that her death was necessary to set things in motion to defeat the king. Archer arrives just as Nehemia disappears and admits that he had Nehemia killed. A creature steps through the still open portal and Kale and Dorian, who are alerted by a dream that Dorian had, arrive as it emerges. Kale chases Selena's dog Fleetfoot into the portal to save her and Selena follows close behind to save them both. Kale sees her true fae form in this land they travel to because it's one where magic still exists. 
They manage to escape back to their world where Selena's fave form vanishes and they close the portal. Selena kills Archer shortly thereafter. Kale decides the safest place for Selena is away from the king in Adderlan. He wants to send Selena to the rival country of Wendland to dispatch the royal family and learn about their military plans. On the docks before her ship sails to Wendland, Selena tells Kale the full truth about everything involving the king in the word keys. Then she tells him a riddle about one last truth about herself. He figures it out fairly quickly after she is gone. Selena is the lost princess of Terrison, Alien Galicinius. Ah, Crown of Midnight, man. I don't have like no memories of that book reading it over again. Like I, I've talked about this before on this podcast. I read this series like a year and a half ago, probably like August, mm-hmm. September, 2020. And there's so much that comes after this, that reading these books was very, uh, it was very fun to go back and like see what seeds were planted early on, but I apparently like had no memory of Crown of Midnight, man. Like <laughs> I thought like Cal and Selena were together for a lot longer than they were. They have one week of happiness in this book. <laughs> That's it of, of room closets. And I was going to say of like closet thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the reason I think we wanted to cover these first two books together is that the last big reveal here that Selena is Aelin is really like a mic drop moment that Mm -hmm. sets up the rest of these books. And these two books, they really feel like one story. Yeah. Like one overarching story that gets wrapped up at the end. And then there's like a whole new world world that opens up afterwards. Yeah. One of the things I was surprised about, I guess, and I kind of said this already is like how much stuff is already seeded because I think one of the like criticisms or one of the things people talk about a lot with this series is that like, it starts off as one thing and then becomes something else. And that's definitely true, but I don't think that it was as like radically done as some people might think. Like they're talking about the Fae and the existence of the Fae in mm-hmm. book one. So like, even though there, you don't see any Fae or meet any Fae at all until Selena goes through the portal, they're there and they're being talked about. So like this definitely becomes more yeah. of a Fae driven series. It's not here, but like it's, it's sprinkled in enough that it, it shouldn't, it's not as shocking as like yeah, it might I- feel. I didn't find it shocking at all. And I, um, I mean, I've talked about it a bunch on this podcast recently that like, I just read all of these books and I read them in pretty, pretty quick succession. Mm-hmm. So they all kind of blend into my mind together, but like, yeah, these two books definitely feel like one story. And also like, I don't think it's a bad thing if it starts off as something more simplistic, like it does here. Like it's wild to me looking back on it, that this first book is like a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it just evolves so much from there. And I don't think that's a bad thing for something yeah. to start small and evolve into much bigger. Like that's how you raise stakes. That's how you, you build out this world. You do it slowly. You don't throw everybody in the deep end right away. I think it makes it easier. Like it makes it more accessible. And, um, also it just really, really effectively builds the world out and builds tension and, and raises stakes. Yeah. One of the things I was surprised at was going back to the first book is like, yes, it's about this competition. So little page time is actually given to the competition. Mm-hmm. Like, there's like one passage where it's like, oh yeah, the last three weeks we did daggers. We did this, we did that. And like, it's, it really moves you forward. And it's, it's not as big of a deal as it feels the first time you read it because mm-hmm. it, and in that, when you look at it that way, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense because this isn't what's important here. Ultimately, 
uh, this whole idea that she's the King's champion. Yes, it is important ultimately, but that's not where the series is going. And two, there isn't really as much tension at all. And like, even Dorian notes it too. He's like, it's going to come down to Kane and Selena and I'm bored by this. And like yeah. all the people who are betting on this are bored. And that's like very early on. Uh, so it is kind of, all the hints are there. If you know where to look for them, that's signaling towards something more. And I think that that's really definitely done by Sarah. You know, I, I think too, it's important to note how this story started off. I'm pretty sure it was like Cinderella fanfic essentially and she had a very big following on an online forum and her acknowledgments in both of these books thank her fans from that forum for pushing her towards getting published and so like she lived with this story for a full decade before throne of glass was published and so obviously when you you think about that and you see how things are seated it's clear she was thinking about this all for a really long time Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I could see it. It's like Cinderella meets like Game of Thrones. There's a lot of Game of Thrones that I feel like is is in here, but like maybe a little bit more so later on. Yeah. That we can talk about in the spoiler section. But yeah, like Cinderella, I don't like totally see it's it's not really there. And I don't know what the original draft like looked like. I mean, I guess the fact that she it had is coming very, from like the mines and stuff. Yeah. Is, and she yeah. she loves the finer things in life, our girl Selena does. So I guess mm-hmm. that's like a good place to start. It's talking about Selena. Because I think she, I think a lot of people really like Selena. Mm-hmm. I really like Selena. Um, I do think she gets some pushback sometimes by people who read these books because she is very like full of herself. But what I think about this book to a couple of things, number one, she, it's very self-aware about it. There's like a great moment. That's one of my favorite quotes between her and Callie's like, wow, you really love yourself. She's like, yep. And I, <laughs> I think that that's great. <laughs> like love that for her that confidence I think is really great but then I also think there's like some pretty compelling plot reasons for like why she is the way she is that made a lot of sense to me on reread yeah I am I think just especially as women I think we're conditioned to kind of like see an arrogant woman as like bad because we're not supposed to be openly proud of our accomplishments or, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we're, we're conditioned to see arrogant men as attractive, but arrogant women is like, uh, a little too big for their britches kind of thing. But, um, I don't really think that there's anything wrong with Selena kind of acknowledging objectively that she is talented. She's the best assassin uncontested. Um, and she's an attractive person. And I think for her to, not acknowledge that or to do otherwise would be um, falsely humble and disingenuous of her. And I think that would be more annoying to me to be like, oh, everybody thinks I'm so gorgeous, but no, I just feel like a, you know, the, the typical kind of like heroine personality in that way where it's like, oh, I can't believe anybody thinks I'm beautiful. It's it's fine. It's fine to look in the mirror and be like, objectively, I'm hot. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to use this to my advantage sometimes and I'm not going to sit on it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there is either. And I, I, I think her confidence is very like inspiring and like mm-hmm. it, it's why for me, she, you know, we talked a lot about this when we covered a court of thorns and roses, like why I like Selena slash Aelin more than like Feyre is because of this like confidence. It's very appealing to me and I like it. And it's very aspirational to me. Mm-hmm. But I also think too, looking at a more like micro level of what's going on in this book is like how, Selena reacts to her, her trauma here and how that manifests in some of these behaviors. You know, the first thing we know about her is that she's taken from the salt mines, the Endovier, and she has been horribly abused there. 
she has only made it out because and has only survived as long because she is as skilled and as talented as she is. But one of the very first things we learn about her is her attempt to commit suicide by trying Mm -hmm. to escape and get as close to the walls of the mines as possible. She was driven to a point where she wanted to end it all. And so it really translates for me that when she's taken out of that position, she wants to do everything she can to never be perceived as, as that weak again. She wants to reclaim everything about herself that was stripped away from her in the salt mines. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's her physical ability. She has to retrain and reestablish her strength. It's also her more superficially, her looks, she's horrifically scarred for being, from being whipped when she first gets to Endovier. So there's a lot of things going on here too. And I think that, yes, she is very cocky and that's who she is. And next week, or our next episode, we're going to be covering the prequel novellas and we'll see more of this. This is who Selena is, but there is, there's more going on here. Like the whole challenge with the target practice, I think it's the first challenge. And Kale has told her to kind of like Melton's in the background a little bit. They're trying to hide that she's this famous assassin and they're all laughing at her. And by the end, she just puts that arrow right in the bullseye and no one's laughing then. I get that. Like, yeah. of course it makes sense that that would be hard to repress anyway, but when you've been so repressed and and, and victimized in this horrible slave system, essentially, it makes sense to me then that she wants to break free from that. Well, that too. And also I think the expectations of her being the only woman in that group of all men and, and her kind of falling at the end of the pack skill wise, um, at least that's what she's representing, um, is really just reinforcing their own, uh, biases against like, you know, female warriors. So I think it would be really upsetting to me as somebody who was like a warrior to dumb myself down and dumb my talents down and just really reinforce these, these preconceived notions. But then she also says this at the end, or she thinks this, but though she hadn't lost by any means, Selena couldn't stand, absolutely could not stand the feeling that she hadn't really won anything at all. So it's like, this is a very important part of her, her skills, et cetera. But like a huge part of this book is her journey. And in these first two books, you know, we find out at the end that she's someone else entirely here. And so I think a lot of, a lot of her journey through the series is kind of realizing that she's kind of meant for something more, these superficial wins, like, yeah, she gets to put these people in the place. That's, that's not really what's going to ultimately at the end of the day, be her path and like what's important in her life. And we get some of that too, in like book two and kind of midnight with Nehemia saying things to her, like, you don't, you won't help because all you care about yourself. And she's like, what's wrong with that? Like, I've been through a lot of shit. Like what's Mm. wrong with me wanting to live in peace, but where she's at by the end of book two is her saying to the, the spirit of Mahimia is you were right. I'm a coward. And I've been running for so long that I've forgotten what it is to stand and fight. And that's where she's kind of heading at the end of crown of midnight. And I think it's, it's so well seated just even in these first two books that her trajectory is changing and it just yeah. oh I love her it's great <laughs> it's good stuff so I feel like we should probably get into Nehemia herself sure yeah let's talk about Nehemia the Nehemia of it all yeah so probably the most most problematic thing about like I think a lot all of Saturday Mass's books yeah 
Yeah, I'd agree. His Nehemia. Um, and she gets rightfully a lot of flack for her treatment of Nehemia, who is, I think, very clearly out of all however many books of hers I've read and I've read them all. There's a lot of them. One of her only clearly unambiguously characters of color in her world who she kills off to motivate mm-hmm. Selena, who sacrifices herself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst part of it is that she nobly sacrifices her life to motivate Selena. It's, it's a real bad look. Um, and, and the fact like Nehemia comes from an enslaved people and then chooses to sacrifice her life so that this white girl can be the hero. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a real big ick. Um, yeah. I think this is, I mean, this is clearly Sarah's like very early work. Um, I don't think that she would kind of resort to this sort of racial stereotyping again, but it is, it, it stands out. Yeah. And I, I think too, you know, this came out in 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know I personally have gone through a lot of critical thought and, and I've changed my viewpoint on things and I don't want to necessarily say this as in any way, shape or form giving her any sort of pass, but kind of what you said, like, I would hope that we all know a lot more in mm-hmm. 2022, 10 years later, that wouldn't allow her character like this to be used in this way. Although like, I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of those things that go- are going on. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of fridging which if yeah. you're not familiar yeah. with that term is when a female character is killed to motivate a man. Um, and that's still happening, right? I think it arguably happens in Avengers Endgame and like it mm-hmm. happens in a lot of big properties. And this is very similar to that. And it's like made even worse by the racial implications here. So yeah, this type of stuff is still going on, but I would hope that going forward, people in, in Sarah J. Mass included yeah. have learned Yeah. And I mean, even in her own, like there there are arguments to be made about the Illyrians being a not great representation, but, um, yeah. 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 So (laughs) baby steps, I guess for, yeah. For Sarah over here, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out that, uh, it's not great. Yeah. And one of the things too, I think what complicates it for me even more is that like, I just, guess it doesn't complicate anymore. It's like, it's, it's subjectively bad, like what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but what also for me, like makes it hard too, is like, I don't feel the connection between Selena and Nehemia that I think the book wants me to feel in terms of their friendship and how much it means to her. I just don't think there's quite enough there on the page. And Nehemia is also like shady as hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's, it's really hard for me to be like, feel the loss of her in the way that Selena obviously does Mm -hmm. because she has been so, so closed off and has like played her cards very close to the chest and like basically lies to Selena and says no more secrets. She has so many secrets. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's not, it's not great overall. So it's definitely a real weak spot for me, even if she setting aside all of the, the ickiness the racial implications it's just not well done I think it's a real like I said real weak spot yeah here but it does I think ultimately fulfill its goal of setting up Selena on a path 
for better or worse in terms of how we got there, but she's then in a position where she's ready to kind of just stop cowering in escaping and having a more quote unquote normal life. And she's realizing she's in a position to, to change things and, Mm -hmm. and, and stop the King here. So that's, uh, that's Nahemia, <laughs> you know, uh, Sarah do better. That's all I got. <laughs> Sarah do better. That's all I guess <laughs> I can say. Um, should we talk about Dorian now? <laughs> I mean, we have to, uh, otherwise it's gonna <laughs> yeah, go on. I, I'd like the record to reflect that Tasia's only notes for Dorian it just says Dorian and then underneath my baby. And then that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Nothing uh, else it's, there. It's one of those things where like, I start to think about Dorian and my feelings feel too big and I don't know how to articulate them. So he just gets in my baby. Cause I, he, I get it baby. a lot. This is what Tate texted me yesterday as I was finishing up reading. And this is true. And I think it's a perfect like thesis statement of like why we love Dorian so much. Dorian is that absolutely deadly combination of hot, uber charming, a little slutty and deeply, deeply bogged down in emotional package. (laughs) And my response to that was, yeah, we have no choice but to stand. I mean, he, I think, you know, from page one, I'm like very into what he is throwing down in this book. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here or spoil anything. And, you know, we will have a spoiler section where we talk about things more in depth, but like he has one of my favorite arcs in the series. It probably will be my favorite series arc, but like, I love every fast. I love every facet of him. And what's really interesting is to go back and read the first book. And it's such a different Dorian than where we end up but I love him still. Like I love this story and I love every aspect of, of Dorian. So like, you know, he definitely starts off this series as kind of the spoiled little princeling who he, he talks about how he's bored and he, you know, this is what he, he thinks at this point, he was bored, bored of these women, bored of these Cavaliers masqueraded as companions, bored of everything. He'd hoped his journey to Indobier would quell that boredom and that he'd be glad to return home, but he found home to be the same. The same lady still looked at him with pleading eyes. The same serving girl still winked at him. The same councilman still slipped pieces of potential legislation under his door with hopeful notes. And his father, his father would always be preoccupied with conquests and wouldn't stop until every continent bore either line's flag. Even gambling over the so-called champions had become achingly dull. So he is like he, he, this is a prince who thinks he's going to get his jollies by going to a slave camp yeah, and pulling a champion out of it. And he has a moment in Crown of Midnight where he thinks like he didn't even look at the other slaves. He didn't even, he's talking to Nehemia, I think about the idea of all these people being enslaved. And even just in these two books, how he gets from that point of boredom and like basically using the suffering of others to maybe break that boredom to realizing that like, oh shit, this is really bad. It's, yeah. it's, it's such a big arc, even just in two books. And I, ugh, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's funny that like that a character that can be coming from such privilege and just be kind of this charm bomb and uh, a little bit of a hoe, like he is so likable. He's just genuinely completely lovable. Um, yeah. It's, it's not that kind of character that I would typically be into, but he's got that. It's that deadly combination, man. It's the it's the charm plus the sluttiness plus the the deep down being a sensitive boy thing. Yeah. yeah. And what I really like too is 
yes, he gets to this point where even by the end of book one, he's admitting like that he basically chose Selena as a champion because he was trying to push back against his father. Like mm-hmm. it would be a sign like of an act of rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's slowly building to the point of rebellion. Obviously the fact that he has magic and his father is oppressing magic is a huge complication in things, but like, you know, he, he is already trying to break free of that from the beginning. And even just in the first book, we see him move towards that really well. But what I think is really well done. And I think what really endears me to him is, is how that journey relates to his relationship with Selena through these first two books, because, mm-hmm. you know, it starts off with this very kind of sweet, innocent romance. I mean, we know Dorian's a player. Like he talks about like all the women that he takes to his bed and, he he doesn't do that with Selena. Like they're just kind of like trading kisses and books, and it's like very sweet and very. Endearing. It's very cute. It's very endearing, but then she accuses him of thinking that she's an adventure. I don't think you're an adventure. Oh, the castle offers so much excitement that the presence of a young prince who's been confined to court all of his life. And what does this competition suggest for that matter? I'm already at your father's disposal. I won't become his son's jester too. And like, he pushes back against the fact that like, she's an adventure, but like she is. And I think that's a huge part of their initial attraction Mm -hmm. to his attraction to her, at least. I mean, he's like such a babe. She thinks at one point I sort of want to kiss him. And I'm like, "Mm, me too, girl, like (laughs) he's so handsome, but like he is using her subconsciously as another form of rebellion. And the way that he realizes by the end of the second book that their friendship is really important is really beautiful to me. And I think it's such a good way to show that A, friendships can be so important. B, you can have maybe some feelings of attraction towards someone, but that doesn't have to be the end all be all. And you can move past that and transcend Mm -hmm. that. I just, I really like it. It's, It's really well done uh for me and it's it's and i think too the fact that he feels isolated for most of crown of midnight because kale and selena are getting together and he's discovering magic and he doesn't have anyone to talk to Mm -hmm. like it's personally really sad to me but like i'm very proud of him for doing that on his own and then coming to a place where he can talk with selena about it at the end of the book and really solidify their friendship is really special to me yeah i do i think there's a lot to be said for his character that like he essentially gets dumped by selena and then she takes up with his best friend and he doesn't really hold it against either one of them he's pretty mature about it he gives them space he doesn't try to like show jealousy or anything like and and he would kind of be within his rights to like you know be a little bit upset about it you know like like not take it out on them necessarily but he and he doesn't he's just like very sweet about it because he cares very much about both of those people and he's like if they are going to be happy together then I'm happy for them and I think there's I don't know a lot to be said for that kind of emotional maturity yeah this like floored me when I read it because I'm like so proud of him and I think this is like Again, like you said, he could be so entitled or feel so entitled to Selena, but this is what he thinks. He would move on because he would not be like the ancient kings in the song and keep her for himself. She deserved a loyal, brave knight who saw her for what she was and did not fear her. And he deserved someone who would look at him like that, even if the love wouldn't be the same, even if the girl wouldn't be her. So Dorian closed his eyes and took another long breath. And when he opened his eyes, he let her go. 
And I just have helped me. Right? <laughs> like, I just, I love that so much. I think it's such an important thing to show. And, 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 you know, yes, this is a love triangle between the three of them here and it could be milked so much more. And Sarah doesn't milk it. She gives Dorian moments like that to be like, okay, I've, I'm setting this aside and I'm moving on past it. And it's, it's a really strong choice. Yeah. I think I, and I don't want to get too much into spoilers right now, but I just want to say that like, like the way that these first books are set up is like, you know, with Selena and Kale and Dorian is like this core and the way that thread kind of continues through the series is something really special. I think. Yeah. It's very important to me. I will say though, because I hinted at this earlier, there's a very strong faction (laughs) online that really does ship Dorian and Kale. And it is, it's not, not there on the page. Another huge weakness, I think, in Sarah Jane Mass's world is how she treats queer characters and slash does not have them at all. And so obviously this yeah. was never going that way. And I I won't spoil where Kale and Dorian's journeys are going, except to say it's not them. They're not. Yeah. And I'm very happy with where everyone ends up in this series at the end of the day. But like, it doesn't mean that I like won't always some part of me really like kind of want this to be a thing. It's not not there. Like she's throwing out moments like this. This is to Selena. Dorian says, "You look radiant." He said, "If you look radiant as well, Kale." He winked at his friend. Like, yeah. come on, Sarah. It's not not there. It's not not there. So I just have to like give it a little shout out. Like I'm always gonna want that like slash fic <laughs> version of this world. Just right. it would be nice. That kind of speaks to like the just like overwhelming uh, hetero like. <laughs> feelings of Sarah is that like she like the the overwhelming heteronormativity of of her and her work is that like she writes this stuff that's like like stuff between Kale and Dorian gets like downright romantic in in like flowery language they use with each other and stuff and like their feelings for each other and the fact that like it's never actually intended by Sarah to to be more than a friendship is just kind of (laughs) proof of of how aggressively heterosexual all of her work is yeah yeah, I think the last thing we need to talk about really before going into superlatives before a spoiler section where we talk about larger series implications from these first couple books is uh, Kale and Selena, who in particularly book two is like the romantic core of the story. I do really like them in, in book two, like their moments of happiness together are like very beautiful before shit hits the fan for Mm -hmm. them. You know, it is really hard to read how things crumble for them because you know, because you've been in Kale's head, you know that he has no nefarious motives toward Nehemia. Selena being Selena obviously jumps to conclusions. I mean, she's primed. She's been played. Mm -hmm. And so she's primed to feel that way, but it doesn't make it any easier to read. It makes me really sad actually to read it because I do like the two of them together and yeah so it's just it's and we'll talk a little bit more in the spoiler section about what's ahead for these two but like by the end of this book it it just it hurts it's it's very yeah it's very hard to read I love I love the dinner scene for his birthday no one had ever really taken care of him before I love this the how they both look to each other as the possibility of like having a normal life like where they could just be people. Mm-hmm. 
they're also saying things like, you know, we're never just going to be normal people though. So it's like, it does kind of feel like something is building. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop throughout a lot of the book. I, I think it's not great that they are intentionally keeping it from Dorian, even though he knows what's going on. He's very like, yeah. aware of it, but like that is a key indicator that like things aren't going to be all sunshine and butterflies for the two of them, but their good moments are really good. Yeah, really good. they are. They're very sweet. I think they're just, they're like a great representation of like young love, puppy love. Yeah. Way. Just kind of like just this whirlwind, you know, and even if they don't necessarily know that much about each other when it comes down to it and as things get revealed, like it's kind of forcing them apart and, but it's still sad, like to have people like at the end when he's sending her off to Wenlin and they have this kind of emotional goodbye and it's, it's going to be sad anytime where you have these two characters that like very, very clearly like have deep feelings for each yeah. other, but like they cannot reconcile who these people really are, the things that they've done. Like they, they've hurt each other really badly at this point that, but they still like just desperately care for each other. And that's always an emotional thing. Yeah. It hurts me a lot when Selena thinks like, the one way she knows in which Archer has won is that he, he has planted the seed of doubt in her about Kale. And like, it's, it's not totally without reason either that she continues to feel that way because Cal is kind of, he's not totally blindly following the King, but he's, he's starting to push back a little bit, but he's still very concerned. And by the end, he's very concerned about like the threat she poses as Aelin. Um, Mm -hmm. so like there's reason to be there, but it is, it's really hard to read. They just have like really good banter. Like at one point, I'm just going to read this little bit. Like, it's really cute. Like she comes in like second to last in the challenge where she saves Knox and she goes, idiot. She said, grinning now, crazed criminal. He returned grinning to, I really do hate you. Lisa, I didn't come to 18th place. (laughs) (laughs) It's like fun ribbing of each other. And it like, it, or he like intentionally scares her in the library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just oh fucking God. with her. They, they fuck with each other really well. Yeah. Like they that. fuck with each other really well. And there is this kind of like forbidden thing going on with them that feels different than like, you know, she breaks things off with Dorian at the end of the first book, the first book. She's like, I can't be with you and be the King's champion. Like it's not, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's different here because Kale has these duties that he's very sworn to. He's given up his family and his, his, what his, his inheritance and the, his title to come and serve Adderlon in this way. And so, you know, that, that does add a lot of good tension there, but like, he is, he's so willing for most of this book to say, no, like I I'm going with you. Um, and so it hurts at the end when it's not there. I will say though, this, I, I never really thought about it the first time we read this book, but and it's not the biggest deal in the world because Selena ultimately comes to the decision to leave and go to Wendlin after like talking with Elena about it. But Cal makes a really big decision on her own behalf here without mm-hmm. consulting her. And like she goes along with it and she doesn't have to necessarily. I mean, she has all the skills in the world to like do something else. But like he just makes this choice for her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little and it's just, hard and to in especially retrospect because, to like, it half of his reason for doing it is not necessarily for her protection, but for the protection of the kingdom because of like the threat she represents because of her like latent magic. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- there's a little bit of like eh, to it also because like man, Kale knows how bad this empire is. He knows how shitty the king is and yet he is yeah. still desperately loyal to it. And it's like, yeah, 
you know, and until Selena comes along and uh, like, you know, throws, <laughs> throws a spanner in the works, like he's more than happy to be a cog in this machine. And, um, you know, I, and I know that a lot of it is Dorian, like he just wants to be with Dorian, wherever Dorian is. And that's where Dorian is. And he wants to protect Dorian because he knows that when the king is gone and Dorian is the king, then they can, you know, affect good change. But yeah. even Dorian is more, you know, he shows more dissension in the ranks than Kale does. Like yeah. Kale has a level of loyalty that isn't just like to the kingdom, to the empire. That yeah. is like, yeah, sus. <laughs> like you need yeah. to get it together, you know? Yeah. And it's partially like at the end, as we've talked about, like they're in a really bad place and they're both just trusting each other for various reasons. He is like stripping some agency from her and making that decision, but she doesn't like not call him out on it. Like she does say yeah. like, we could have worked on this word key stuff together, but like you did this. So and she's not, she's not mad about always it. call them out. Yeah. But she's like, <laughs> okay, well now you have to do it because you sent me away. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like, I'm, I'm going now. So, uh, yeah, th- these two tortured, tortured love story. It, it, it is hard to read because I do like them both a lot. Mm-hmm. They're both good babies and I want them to be happy, but they're not happy at the end of this. They're not <laughs> happy. Definitely not. <laughs> um, all right. Should we do superlatives before yeah. we go into some spoiler stuff? All right. Favorite quote. I have several and I think you do too. So mm-hmm. let's go back and forth. I'll go first. This is a Dorian moment that just makes me smile. Are you afraid of me? She glanced at his sword belt. Or are you as deft at handling your sword as Captain Westfall? He stepped closer, tightening his grip. Better, he whispered in her ear. Oh, Dorian, (laughs) stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right. Your turn. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I was still lost in in the Dorian. Okay. (laughs) He won every game, yet she hardly noticed. As long as she hit the ball, it resulted in shameless bragging. When she missed, well, even the fires of hell couldn't compare to the rage that burst from her mouth. He couldn't remember a time when he laughed so hard. I just love her. She's ridiculous. She's such a, I, I don't know, just yeah. the drama of her, the exuberance of her is just really charming. Yeah. Like who who amongst us, like, well, at least I, I guess I can say who amongst us. I personally don't like when I'm not good at something. So I like yeah. totally feel this moment like yeah. intensely. This next one is just like a, a, a brief moment. There's a lot of book stuff in the first two books, like a lot of libraries and reading. And it's a foundational part of Dorian and Selena's relationship. And even her and Cal's relationship, like they all are readers and they're talking about books and it's like very sweet and endearing. I will deduct a point from Dorian for kind of um, shaming Selena for reading smutty books, but then he's like, well, I'm going to read it. And so he comes around and it's good. She, she calls him out on that, but um, this is just a forever mood. Lonely. No, I can survive enough on my own if given proper reading material. Retweet. Retweet. All right. Okay. Um, (laughs) So uh, this is when, uh, so, you know, Selena being in in Dovier, she was not getting her period anymore because she was malnourished and uh, mistreated. And so she, you know, gets healthy again and starts getting her period again. And unlike Kale, who runs away uh, when confronted with this (laughs) womanly thing, Dorian is, he says, no fair maiden should die alone. He said, putting a hand on hers. Shall I read to you in your final moments? What story would you like? Uh, just kind of turning that drama back on her. And it's very, yeah. it's very cute. Yeah. I like it. Um, this is after Selena and Cal have their 
their sexy times together the next morning. <laughs> this is Selena. Honestly, I'm surprised you're not starting about boasting to everyone. I certainly would be if I'd tumbled me. Does your love for yourself <laughs> know no bounds? Absolutely none. And you know what? We love that. We should all aspire yeah. to have the confidence. Walk walk through the world with the confidence of Selena Sardothian. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, my name is Selena Sardothian, she whispered, but it makes no difference if my name's Selena or Lillian or bitch, because I'd still beat you no matter what you call me. Hell yeah. Again, walk through the world with the confidence of Selena Sardothian. Yeah, seriously. Um, this last one is from Elena. Um, it's one of the more famous quotes of the series. You'll definitely see it on merch and stickers, um, which is you could rattle the stars. Just like great imagery. Like mm-hmm. I get chills just like even saying it because it's just like the sense that there's so much more to Selena and the feels big chill that she has. It feels really big. And that's such a great way to put it. Oh, I love it. All right. Favorite character in arc. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have written, I am a Dorian simp. It's who I am. Um, and this is kind of glib of me, but like, also, uh, I just wanted to talk about him. Um, I guess going to say my other favorite character is Mort, the door knocker. Shouts to Mort. Very funny character. This is one of the things he says at one point. You'd better clean up the mess you brought down there or I'll ask some gods to send some wicked beastie after you. <laughs> He's just funny. He's a good door knocker. He's a great door knocker. Excellent. Um, love of do- a door knocker, apparently. There's one in um, like the Folk of the Air series, too, who like loves, oh, yeah, yeah. He loves Cardin. So, you know, we love an inanimate object who is this a simp for a character that I'm a right? simp for. My favorite arc in these first two books is Selena's arc because I think we see her get to like a really good place at the end. And even though I have some qualms about the steps that get her there, particularly in Nehemia, uh, it's, it's, it's great to see where she's at by the end of these two books. And it just makes you really excited uh, for what's coming now that you know that she's Aelin. Yes, totally yeah. agree. Um, I mean, really uh, retweet all, all across the board. Uh, Dorian, favorite character. Um, Selena favorite arc. I think Kale also gets a shout out just because um, he is sort of having the veil lifted a little bit and he's maybe not reacting to it great at the moment, but he's going to, he's getting there. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, we don't talk a ton about like magic Dorian, but I like while we're in favorite character, I just want to talk about like how hot it is when he saves Kale from Selena mm-hmm. with his magic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really, it's really hot and it's really interesting to like see him struggling with his magic and I'm excited for where that goes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> soon. Yes. Okay. Let's start with our throne of class soon first. Okay. Mine is Dorian giving Selena Fleetfoot. It's just really nice because mm-hmm. he's like such a snob about how he wants like these purebred puppies and then Fleetfoot's a mutt and she's like, please do not like kill this puppy. I love this puppy. And then he gives it to her and it's, it's very sweet. Like yeah. That. So I, mine is um, him bringing her candy because she's just like delighted by it. And it's very cute, but also um, he saw her face each time he closed his eyes. She haunted his thoughts, made him wish to do grand and wonderful things in her name, made him want to be the, a man who deserved to wear a crown. Yeah. I mean, uh, really any line that's going to come anywhere near, like you make me want to be a man who deserves blank is like always going to work for me. So yeah, there we are. Uh, And you know, it's like, it's, it's such a good indicator of like 
their relationship and how important it is to him and to them going forward. As you said, the three of them, it's a very big through line through this story. And even though they all go many different directions over the course of, you know, the rest of the books in this series, it's, it's really important. And you, you see that from, from early on, um, Mm -hmm. even if it's not romantic for them. And that brings to me to, I guess, a friendship soon. I have, I love a friendship soon, but I love at the end of throne of glass Dorian says to Selena, no matter how frivolous and twisted that competition was, I'm grateful. It brought you into my life. As long as I live, I'll always be thankful for that. And he says it as a romantic thing at that point too. But then he says that exact same thing to her again at the end of crown of midnight, he says, you know, I meant what I said then it's still true. I'm so happy you came into my life. And that's more impactful almost to me Mm. too, because like, even though he's let her go and he's like moved away from those feelings, their friendship is really, really important. You know, I love just the little moments where there's that thing in the library and they're like, we're just going to deal with this day by day. And they have like a nice little moment where there's like, well, fuck, you've got magic. Like you've, you've got secrets. You're letting demons out all over the place. And they just start just like, all right, we'll deal with it. And it's just, it's such a very important, um, relationship in this story, the two of them. And you're making me emotional about it. Oh God. Like, uh, man, anyway, he's um, just such a good boy. Yes, he really is. Okay. And then, um, we have romantic spoons. I'll let you go first. Cause this is what I um, was going to put, but you had it first. So. Okay. There had never been any line between them, only his own stupid fear and pride, because the moment he pulled her out of that mine in Indovir, she had set those eyes upon him, still fierce despite a year in hell, he'd been walking toward this, walk, walking to her. That's Kale. And then they kiss. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's like a, I love that whole scene where she recreates the like scene from the song that they heard and yeah. no one never given him a birthday party <laughs> since he was little. It's just, it's a lot for me. It's very beautiful. This is before that there's the like ball or whatever. And he says, dance with me, Selena. He said again, his voice rough when her eyes met his, she forgot about the cold and the moon and the glass palace looming above them, the secret library and the King's plans and Mort and Elena faded into nothing. She took his hand and there was only the music and Kale. And it's, it's a beautiful moment because it, it, it kind of calls back to the ball in the first book where she shows up and Dorian's heading to her and then Cal's there instead. And he's there in that moment to like, be like, why are you here? But like, it's, it's a lovely full circle moment. And I do really love their moments together in this book. It makes me sad when it falls apart. Ugh. All right. Spoilers. Spoilers. All right. Well, uh, there'll be a musical cue here. If you're reading along. Uh, for the first time, you don't want to know anything more about what's coming in this series. Turn back now, come back later, because we are going all in to the rest of the books in the series here. So see you later. So most of my spoiler thoughts are Selena and Kale related, because I really do think like there's some passages in here that like from early on kind of indicate to me in retrospect that like things aren't gonna work out very well for them like this is what he thinks in book one like early on where he's trying to like 
struggle with whether or not he trusts her, etc. Despite her arrogance, she was clever and relatively kind and somewhat charming. But where was that writhing darkness? Why didn't it show itself so he could just throw her into the dungeon and call off this ridiculous competition? There was something great and deadly concealed within her, and he didn't like it. He'd be ready when the time came. He'd be waiting. He just wondered which one of them would survive. Like, and that's what ultimately doesn't work for them. I mean, like he... Yes, she meets her mate in Rowan and he meets who she's he's supposed to be with in Irene, but this this right here is the an impediment obviously to their romantic relationship, it's an impediment to their friendship for a while, that he has his own stuff to get over when it comes to her and who she really is. Yeah. Um and you know, he, he gets to that place and that's his journey. And it's, it's a great journey to read, but like, this is it, this right here, she's telling us really early on that there's something else in her and he doesn't like it. And he just wants to be done with it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at. I mean, and, and it's, I think foreshadowed very well at the end there too, where he's like, she's the biggest threat to the kingdom because yeah. she's Aelin. Um, yeah. and so it's really hard. I think it's a really interesting point of like comparison between Kale and uh, Rowan because Rowan spends their, their journey together in air of fire, trying to bring everything out of, of Aelin, um, her true self out. And Kale spends most of their time together trying to like suppress that, the Aelin part of Selena. And um, it's just, you know, and I think it's, it's one of my favorite things about this series is that, um, like the way that it lets its characters evolve, even at the sacrifice of relationships and, and specifically romantic relationships. Like it's kind of become a, almost like a, an in-joke at this point that like Sarah never has her character stay with like the first love interest, um, like never trust the first love interest, like relationship. It's not going to last. Um, but I think it's really good because it's, it's especially for young readers, um, cause these are young adult books to show that like, a lot of these like puppy love, these new, you know, these first love relationships, like they don't necessarily last. It doesn't mean that they're not impactful or like deeply meaningful in your life, but it's okay for two people to grow apart and um, for somebody to like not accept certain parts of who you are. Um, it's sort of the death knell of the relationship, right? And you yeah. should take it as such. And, and it's okay to go out there and to let some things go, even if it hurts you, so you can go and find what's right for right. you. And it's not even like, yes, Aelin deserves someone who sees all of her. And you're totally right. Like that's Rowan hundred percent. And we, and I, it's makes reading that scene, which is a beautiful scene where they have this song about this, ba- basically the Selena type character who has this power and and finally she finds someone not to fear her, but to love her. And like, they have a moment of like understanding and they're, they're both very overcome in that moment, but that's not their story. That's yeah. Aelin and Rowan's story. But what I think is really special about it is how Kale develops then after that, because, you know, he's, he's also saying things like this. While it terrified him to see her down there, hands breath from Dorian's unprotected throat, what terrified him even more was that he trusted her. He didn't know what that meant about himself. He has to do so much reprogramming. Mm-hmm. And like you said earlier, like he is even more cognitive than, than Dorian. As in Dorian's the heir here. And, you know, he's kind of like the Matthias of this series in that, oh, like, yeah. 
he like from like six of crows crooked kingdom like who is raised in this very rigid way of thinking he's been raised in this kingdom where there's no magic and it, magic is oppressed and everyone tells him that magic is bad and he has this horrible father and he's serving this horrible king and he's had no friend in his life but dorian and yes it makes sense then that like when aelin is aelin and dorian has magic he doesn't know what to do with that um, but that's what really makes his his journey through this book series so special. And like when he finally realizes that like who Aelin is 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 so important and she's so wonderful without any qualifiers, it makes it yeah. so worth it. But it's really hard to get there. It's oh god, it's so hard. To yeah, get. we have some rough kale stuff. Oh my up. god, <laughs> they're both in a really dark place and. Um, queen of shadows i'm mm. not looking forward to reading it again um well they really both have that thing about uh, them that it's like they they lash out when kind of cornered or when when disagreed with almost especially yeah. especially alien yeah um and and it makes her kind of a dick and it makes him kind of a dick too they're yeah. kind of equally being douchey yeah. to each other yeah i just think it's really interesting and i guess we're going to kind of maybe spoil a little bit of um Akatar here so skip ahead but like it's very similar to me Kel is not Tamlin he is not yeah. a bad person he has some things he needs to learn but I think it's it's not as clearly seated as all the Tamlin issues are in the first Akatar book but it's really interesting to go back and see like a lot of the stuff when you know what's coming obviously this is going to be very much an impediment to them mm-hmm. going forward because he he thinks so many times like the, the Selena he was in bed with, who was not, she was gone. And the difference, I think at, at this point, and they both eventually get there is that Dorian was like, he, he sees that side of her. It's a very interesting moment where she comes in after she's tried to kill Kale and she's like been really just all over the place after Nehemia's death. She comes in and she thinks, or she says to him, I haven't really been myself. And Dorian thinks, no. Like you just kept a tighter leash on that side of yourself yeah. more. And he's more willing to accept that side of her at this point than Kale is. Or Kale's like, she's gone. I've lost her. Like that, yeah. she, something has happened and she's, she, this lane I knew is gone. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to track it. But yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Um, it hurts. I want to read this quote though. Um, this made me emotional reading it in front of class, Keisha, because it just like knew what was coming. And it's like a subtle moment when you read it, obviously it has bigger picture implications, but this is from Selena's POV. She pulled her cloak around her. She would win. She'd win and serve the king and then vanish into nothing and think no more of castles or kings or assassins. She didn't wish to reign over the city again. Magic was dead. The Fae were banished or executed, and she would never again have anything to do with the rise and fall of kingdoms. She wasn't fated for anything. Not anymore. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna cry because, uh, like, one of the things I've always really connected to with Aelin is like how much, and you see it in the this book too. How she just wants this normal life. She's so tired. She, this this mantle, this burden she has on her is not something that she wants and she struggles with it so much and Rowan is her support through that which makes their relationship really so uh, special to me but like we see so much here in this book about how she just want in these two books how she wants this normalcy 
And she she doesn't think that she has she's this. so far from it too. She's, like uh, she starts the series just exhausted, having spent yeah. a year as a slave, and then years before that as uh, yeah. in that assassin training and everything. It's yeah, she starts exhausted, and then you think about everything that she's going to come to go through, and yeah. uh, it's oof, yeah, it does hurt. It does hurt, and it and she does all of that all that she does in the series, she does despite all of that. And that's why I love her so much. It's, it's, it's heavy. It's the head that wears the crown definitely, but like, it really is hard for her. And that struggle is ultimately so rewarding. But I'm like, Oh girl, you've got so much ahead of you. You are. And it's faded. like, no wonder she's walking through the world with all this bravado, you know, when she's got, when she, she's wearing that mantle and just carrying all this weight. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway. Um, some other, uh, interesting stuff. I think, um, oh, I also sh- should point out to we're already past Kale a little bit when she says to him, I'll always pick you is that's a real <laughs> dagger of a line. Um, when you know that that's not the case, um, they're not meant to be, their love is important. It evolves. It's okay. Everyone's okay. At the end, but like, that's really <laughs> rough to read. I love reading the Knox stuff. Mm-hmm. Knox was one of my most surprised, like my, my most surprise like cameo appearance later in the book so I was like yeah. oh wait <laughs> I was very excitedly texting you guys yeah like he's so he's a great character in mm-hmm. this book anyway in the first book when it, I like their funny little friendship he's also from Paran I Elite is probably my like one of my also top characters we don't meet her until Empire of Storms I don't know maybe Queen of Shadows I can't remember we don't meet her till later I love her the Lady of Paran my girl. So I love that that's where he's from and they have this Terrison connection and it's great. It's great when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Baba Yellowlegs, that has big implications going forward. Yeah. This um, was, I think, a really fun introduction to like this other race, the, the witches, um, just like <laughs> kind of instantly how terrifying they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, it's easy to gloss over the first couple of times you read, but like, you're right when you know, like, oh yeah, the witches are a really big part of the series going forward. You like pause and think, and it's not like super heavy handed mm-hmm. and it isn't really important to this book, but like it's there and it's, it's kind of nicely done. This is something Selena's historian that made me like stop in my tracks. Cause I was like, Ooh, ouch. So don't expect me to care when you find yourself nothing more than a puppet. If you aren't one already. And she's talking about his dad. And I'm like, yeah. oh God, like when he's under like the collar, the spell of the collar and he like is basically has no control over his own decision-making. Like I was like, ouch, like, and, and what's hard about it is like in uh queen of shadows, like Aelin is kind of the one that's like, he's not there anymore. We have to let him go. And it's Cal that like fights for him. Um, mm-hmm. So for her to say, don't expect me to care when you find yourself nothing more than a puppet. It's like, Oh, ouch. Because like, she just thinks he's gone. Uh, yeah. There's like little lines like that. I was like, ah, Sarah. Ouch. And now I'm just thinking about Manon and her like, which killer note, like he's still alive in there or whatever it is that she says. I'm like, ah, <laughs> he also says this story and does. And I have this note as well. I'm not married. He said softly because I can't stomach the idea of marrying a woman in fear to me in mind and spirit. It would mean the death of my soul. And I just ruined all caps. She's out there, Dorian, and her name is Manon. 
Oh man, I cannot wait. Yeah, I can't. I'm we, so excited we for can't. them. We could just be here all day if we wanted yeah. to talk about that. So we're not going to. <laughs> just going to need an entire episode just for Dorian and Manon. Yeah. Um, we get a nameless is my price moment from Baba Yellow Legs, which has big implications with um, Dorian's father mm-hmm. and the sacrifices he made in order to get the word key power. Yeah, that, those were my big spoiler things. Yeah, there. Any yeah. other? Uh, no, I just wanted to note that it was, uh, I think she did a really good job of keeping the Parrington as uh, the Val King under wraps. That was a, that was a big surprise for me when I was reading. Um, so it's kind of fun to revisit like the early interactions with Parrington, knowing what we know now. Um, also, I think the way that he played Caltain was like, that was a really good twist yeah. too. Um, yeah. And, and did a good job of kind of seeding that early, like Parrington is a lot darker than we think. He's not as much of a puppet as we think. Yeah. It's really interesting too, just to read the Caltain stuff, knowing like what, how she is like a used and abused type character. And I do think, you know, one of the things we talked about too, like in terms of how we are primed to as women in particular to look at female characters like Selena, I think we're also primed to look similarly at characters like Caltain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have any sympathy for her because she's very selfish and she's very um, single minded and manipulative. manipulative. Yeah. yeah. Like she just wants story in and she's willing to poison Selena to get what she wants, but she's definitely a victim too. And how that ultimately plays out later in the series and she gets the word key out, what an arc for our girl Caltain what an arc it's so rewarding so it's just like the way that every little character here has a role to play is Mm -hmm. is what makes this series so special and oh yeah man damn what a journey we have ahead of us (laughs) I'm so excited you know it was funny it was like really hard to initially sit down and start reading Throne of Glass again because I love this series, but I missed all my friends. I missed Rowan. I missed Manon. I missed Elite. I missed everyone who means so much to me in this series. But Mm -hmm. once I like was able to get past that, I was like, this is also important too. And I I have a lot of of feelings. I'm going to stop now. It's really good. We're spreading this out because like I, as you did when you first read the books recently, like they're so consuming and it's mm. good that we're going to spread this out yeah. for my own personal well-being. Well, yeah, especially when we open the world up and we're getting like our our Lorcans and our uh, Gavriels and our... Oh my just, God. Lay down right now thinking about... I'm Lorcan. worried that every single one of these episodes is going to end up being like three hours long. You know, it is what it is. You know what? We, we did two books pretty quickly here, so mm. I know more is coming, but like this was pretty good of us. And I think on that note, let's say where we're going next. Yes. Uh, So so in terms of Throne of Glass content, um, we're not covering that next. We're going to take a little break and kind of break things up, as we said. But we're going to go with Assassin's Blade next. So this is a collection of prequel novellas um, that we are going to discuss on their own. Um, That is going to be a pretty spoilery episode just because... Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they have very big long-term implications, but we are just going to, uh, so there's, there, this is going to be a spoiler episode. Um, and, uh, after that with each book going forward, we'll, we'll have a, a dedicated spoiler section, but that one, we're just kind of, kind of go because that's their real value. Yeah. And we're going in publication order. This is when they came out 
relative to the rest of the books in the series. There's all sorts of thoughts that people have about when you should read them, uh, but we're going to do pub order. So that's next in terms of Throne of Glass content. But before we cover that, we're going to have another episode. And Tasia, would you like to tell the folks at home what we're going to be covering? I sure would. Um, we are going to be covering, uh, they both die at the end by Adam Silvera. Yep. This is kind of like a, a modern YA classic mm-hmm. type of book. I think I saw before the holidays, Adam Silvera posted about like how long it has been on bestseller lists. It was kind of like a very shockingly long period of time. It was the best selling YA novel of 2021. And it's a book that's several years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think it's definitely joined the ranks of like Simon versus the homo sapiens agenda in like kind of mandatory queer YA reading. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be, there's a TV deal now too. So like a lot of big things are coming. Yeah. So I'm looking at his post now from May of 2021. There was a post that um, it's going to be TV series. So yeah, there's, it's a big book. It's what really viral on TikTok, I think, and that what what pushed it back into the forefront. And we've not read it, neither of us, right? No, I've read it. Oh, you have? Oh, I have not mm-hmm. read it. I'm ready yeah. to be emotionally devastated. Sometimes I like that though. <laughs> I mean, the title in and of itself makes it right clear that that's where we're going. But that's fine. Love to cry with you. <laughs> so yeah, so that's next. Friends, we're excited about what we're uh, covering here in 2022. And uh, we hope we give a good sell on Throne of Glass in particular. Yeah. Tasia, where can our listeners find you online until our next episode? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. The podcast is on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. You could shoot us an email if you'd like it, Act Your Age pod at gmail.com. And as always, we would love ratings and reviews particularly on Apple podcasts, it'd be very helpful to us. Friends, thanks again. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.